Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot Z-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 134 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer out of the home office, the city south side. Brendan Escott back at the 630 Chad studios. Royal Pizza, pizza past and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup, takeout options for a menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. The Stoffer recommendation at Royal Pizza is the Mediterranean chicken. Without further ado, long time and he spent a lot of years in Calgary. Uh, writes for The Athletic, one of the best-known writers in the country. Eric uh, Duhashek joins us right now. Eric, the T's silent, right? I just want to, you know, I mean, my, it's remarkable how many times I get called Stouffer when it's Stouffer. Yeah. But I, I, with your name, I always, the T's silent, just to confirm that. Is that right? That is correct. T and the S are actually silent, so it's Duhachek. But uh, here's the thing. After 42 years, I guess, in the industry, I'm okay with however people pronounce it. It does not bother me at all. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll go. Uh, you're, you're about my – you're probably my second favorite Eric of all time. There was a guy named Eric Lindros. He was pretty good. And it was the only time ever I, I, I despised the Broad Street bullies of the 70s with the Flyers. But I loved Lindros. I met him at the 1991 – Canada Cup in Saskatoon. I was broadcasting some games there. The guy was a uh, a physical freak, and frankly, I don't think he ever. I know he finally got into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that was a contentious one. And you kind of know a little about that stuff. I mean, it, it was it was interesting because for me, I don't know about you, I thought for about five years in the 1990s he was the best player in the NHL. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and I think probably, again, I was on the selection committee. We're not allowed to discuss the internal workings of the committee. But I think that, you know, like prior to even joining the committee, I, I think I wrote that multiple times that, that that he was. He was the best player for, for five years. And so the debate at the Hall of Fame is often longevity versus, you know, the um, burst of excellence that, that might be undermined by, by injuries and such. And I think that what you've seen over the years is that there are people that get in because they have these long, elegant careers, and that there are other people, Bobby Orr, Pavel Bure, and you know, and eventually Eric Lindros, who who were just so dominant, uh, even though their careers might have been half of what you would have expected if there hadn't been injuries, that they just they eventually got into. So yeah, no uh, Hall of Fame. It's uh, <laughs> it's interesting this year with Hall of Fame because uh, you know uh, when they had I'm not on the committee anymore. You're only allowed to serve 15 years, um, so now I'm just an interested spectator like everyone else. But I thought that this year's class was excellent. Uh, there is a part of me that uh, that wonders how difficult it must be for the this year's winners to have to wait probably 18 months uh, uh, for their induction. And, and I think that there's a possibility that uh, if 
the, you know, if the induction is postponed until November of 2021, they may not have a, a class of 2021, and that will have an impact on the Sedin. So anyway, but that's, I'm sure that that's not why you called today, but well, <laughs> we you know what? on that one for a long time if you want Well, Kevin Lowe finally got in. The Oilers are up to seven uh, Oilers skaters from their uh, dynasty teams in the 1980s. Four of those guys are presenting today. Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, Grant Fier, all part of the NHL awards. Yeah. Um, Leon Dreisaitl, I mean, it says something about uh, the year that Leon Dreisaitl has, that he's up for two awards, and the guy that's basically considered the best player in the world right now, Connor McDavid, he had a pedestrian 97 points and was second in the league in scoring. But give me your take on the Hart Trophy. Uh, will Leon Dreisaitl be joining Wayne Gretzky, an eight-time winner, Messier and McDavid as uh, Oiler players to have won the Hart? Uh, well, he was—he was—he was number one on my ballot, and uh, um, and and I do think I do think that he is going to win. Uh, and then you know, here's another thing that always comes up when when we're discussing awards. There there are a percentage of people that annually will say, should the awards also include the playoffs? And of course, the NHL has been reluctant to do that for a million years because they feel that it then is not an even playing field. Only half the the field usually makes it to to the playoffs. And and you know, should someone have an ability to enhance their credit? by having a deep playoff run. So that's the argument on, on the NHL side. But there is another part of you that thinks that, you know, the playoffs are, in most people's minds, the, the most important part of the season. And so, you know, like, is there value in having an award that, that, that takes it from October the 5th or whenever the puck is dropped until the very final game and then have the, uh, the votes? And, and more and more, I'm, I'm almost coming around to that point of view because I do think that, you know, for example, Nathan McKinnon, I think, uh, really enhanced his his, sure. his MVP credentials with the way he played in the playoffs. Defensemen like Seth Jones and Miro Heiskanen, who probably, you know, were not even in on most people's ballots and we can vote five, uh, might have got some additional consideration. So, but for the purposes of this year and this award, you know, to me, the, you know, Dreisaitl had the best season, you know, and that's what it comes down to. You, 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 you vote for the parameters that the NHL establishes, and the NHL established it for the regular season, which this year for most teams was, uh, was 70 games, and over that period of time, except for that drought that he had, I think it was in, in, in December, he was dominant. And when you think about what he and McDavid together contributed to the Oilers surge this year, which often is something that influences voters' behavior. When you think about when Taylor Hall won, why, why was Taylor Hall the winner that year? Because he took a New Jersey team that wasn't very good all the way to the playoffs. Why did McKinnon finish second that year? Because he took a 48-point Colorado team and effectively they doubled their point total and it was largely driven by him. So often players on teams that have had that kind of surge that Edmonton had, and they were, they, they were the fifth best team in the regular season. They were the fifth. I thought they were really unlucky not to get one of those uh, four seeds. When you look at Dallas now, yes. three wins away from winning a Stanley Cup. I know. Edmonton just, had one more point in the regular season, right? And they, they, Edmonton lost that on the, on the basis of one one-thousandth of a percentage point. I mean, that's, you know, I'm sure in your market that must be a very challenging what-if for, for people to have to deal with. Well, there, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think for the fans, you know, they were frustrated at the lack of performance against Chicago. Yeah. Uh, for the advanced analytics types, they took a look at the heat map of where the shots were coming from. And I know one guy said that the Oilers uh, were unlucky not to have scored six more goals in the final three games of that series. They lost two. They, I mean, you know what? That happens. Like, you know, maybe the Oilers didn't deserve to win the 1990 Stanley Cup, and they did. You yeah. know, they got some breaks along the way. Dallas, I mean, it's not just Edmonton. How do you think Calgary feels up 2-1, you know, in the series up 
and up in game four, 12 seconds left. Calgary yeah, could have... They had three games that were, where they should have won. I mean, they, they lost yeah. uh, in the last minute of regulation. I think it was in game two. You're right. They were ahead in game four, lost in regulation, or got it to Dallas tied in regulation, lost in overtime. And they were up 3 nothing in that final game. I mean, the, I way the league used to be, if you were up 3 nothing against any opponent all the time, you used to be able to lock that down. And all of a sudden, they're on the losing end of, of 7-3. On the outside, you know, people here are calling for massive changes. And uh, and it's like, wow, they, you know, like they could have had Dallas on the sidelines at that point. And then to, to your point, I think what you're implying is that you never know, right, how the path yeah. navigates. Because I don't think Dallas would have beaten Colorado if Colorado hadn't been down to their third string goalie. But, that, but that's the nature of playoff hockey. You know, you play the opponent that's at hand and you do what you can against them. And, and sometimes, the, you know, it just opens up for you. And that seems to be what happened with Dallas this year. So let's go. I mean, you know, both of us have known Rick Bonus for a long time, right? So I always say What a people, story. You know, what a story. People don't, people must say this to you all the time. Who do you cheer for? I don't, I don't cheer for teams. I, you know, you, you just get, you can't do that in this industry. But you can cheer for good people. And so when I look at, the, you know, the list of people that are competing in this Stanley Cup final, Jim Neal, the general manager in Dallas, he, he was the captain of the University of Calgary Dinosaurs in 1978 when I started in the business. The first week I was on the job as a full-time sports writer, I did a profile of Jim Neal. So here it is, 42 years later, a really good man. You know, if they win, I'll be very happy for Jim Neal. Rick Bonus. I mean, we've run into him in quarters. He's been an assistant coach for so long. Just stands and visits with you after games or after practices. Just, you know, really a wonderful human being. And you can tell the way these Dallas players are playing for him, how much they enjoy this, and how if he comes back next year as, as the head coach, they'll be very happy about that. So, so if it opens up this way, and if Dallas somehow manages to find a way of, of navigating to the, to the finish line, good for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable story. And even to your point on Colorado, I mean, if we had gone by divisional, top three and then had a seven versus ten eight versus nine playing yeah. you know the orders are playing vancouver and dallas has to play a healthy colorado in round one that would not have been an easy task uh all right so we talked a bit about the heart now i know the players vote for the ted Lindsay, uh and john shannon was just on and made the point look bob you know some guys only saw leon play once new york islanders only saw dry saddle once this year um that's that's going to be an interesting one to me because obviously, you know, I, I wonder at times, you know, sort of that reverence factor for Connor McDavid in terms of how freakishly gifted he is. I'm going to be really intrigued to see uh, what the players uh, decide to vote there. And again, it's the same three guys, uh, McKinnon and uh, Panarin, along with uh, Drysaddle, up for the Ted Lindsay as well as the Hart. I, I agree with you. In fact, I, you know, we, we have this new app on, in, on the Athletic, and, and uh, it sort of works like Twitter. And, and, and that was what, what I sent out on, on, on Saturday. That uh, there's a part of me that thinks that, that while Drysaddle is going to win the Hart Trophy, that there's a decent chance that Nathan McKinnon will win the uh, will win the Lindsay. And it's partly too because I, historically, what I think the players do is that there is a little bit of a of a pecking order, more so maybe with the players' vote than, than there is in the writers' vote. I think the writers have a tendency more to you know evaluate like you know I, whenever i fill out my ballot i read the exact definition of the award before i i fill out the ballot so i know exactly what i'm looking for and it's important you know because you know if you if you look at the the wording of the norris you know it, it, it might make you think more about two-way defensemen than just guys that pile up the most points so in, in the case of the heart you know it's a judge to be most valuable to his team if you you know it, it's always been difficult in the past for players with two like teams with 
two great players because they split the vote, right? So then you look at what Colorado did this year uh, yeah. and the season, the season that they had, and then you think about the time that Rantanen missed, and you think about the time that Landeskog missed, and McKinnon didn't miss a beat. I mean, he's playing with Matt Calvert at times. He's playing with, with Burakovsky. He's playing with all these different guys, and whoever was with him, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they, they raised the level of their play and their stats improved. So the, there is a part of me that thinks that the collective body of NHL players might factor that in more maybe than, than, than the writers necessarily did. And so I'm, I'm, I, there's a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if Dreisaitl wins the heart and if McKinnon wins the Lindsay, because there have been a number of times in the past where, the, where, the, where that isn't the same guy, where the vote is split. You know, Connor McDavid is a real good example of that, right? So, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, there's, uh, like I said, I have no, nothing other than educated guesswork, but there's a part of me that thinks that McKinnon could win that, uh, win the Lindsay. Eric uh, Duhatchik joining us right now. Bob Stoffer with you. Know, orders down. Eric mentioned 2017-18. Taylor Hall wins the Hart Trophy, but it was Connor McDavid that won the Ted Lindsay voted upon by the players. You wrote a piece on the goaltending. And it's my belief, uh, and hey, full disclosure, I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group, but it's my belief the prioritization for Ken Holland is going to be in goal. They don't have a lot of cap space. I see him spending money. I wouldn't give up an asset, but the irony is that might be where you get your best goaltender. Uh, the Vegas situation, how do you see that playing itself out between Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Lehner? Well, I do think that uh, Leonard is going to sign an extension there, and if Leonard does sign an extension there, it'll be for five years in that $5 million range, and Vegas is close to being capped out right now, so uh, they will have to move on from, from Flurry, and then it's just a matter of how you move on from Flurry. So two years left at $7 million there. I, I don't think there's very many teams that can afford to take, even if you think that Marc-Andre Flurry can still be a difference maker for two years, which I think is true. Uh, yeah, I look at you know where teams are in terms of their payroll. No one's going to be able to take him for two years times seven, but you might be able to take him at four seven five if Vegas takes back a, a third of the contract. So I think I think Pittsburgh is a good landing spot for him. He's going to want to go to a team that has a chance to win. So if Pittsburgh moves on from Matt Murray, that sounds like that's going to happen, and they're left with Tristan Jerry. But they're making these moves like adding Kapanen from from Toronto in in, in the hopes of, of winning in the next two years with Crosby and Malkin still sort of in the Stanley Cup window. Why wouldn't you bring uh, Flurry back? Incredibly popular player. Uh, they felt they had to let him go because they thought that Murray was going to be the goalie of the future. Can you win with Tristan Jerry? I, I think that would be too risky. I know that Jim Rutherford as manager in Pittsburgh takes on risks, but the safe play there would be to bring Flurry back at a percentage of what his salary is, get Jerry you know, for the cheap for the next two or three years. Uh, they haven't got a huge body of work yet in the NHL, so he's not going to be commanding the kind of money that, say, Leonard is going to get this summer or Jacob Markstrom's going to get. So I think him going there. Now, if I'm Edmonton and find a way of, of, of getting him in there, I don't see Vegas trading him to a contender. A, a, basically, who's going to, who are the two best teams in, in, in the Pacific next year? Probably Edmonton and Vegas. Vegas is not going to help Edmonton out by sending them flurries. So I think they're going to have to go elsewhere if they're looking for a goaltender. What do you think of Markstrom? Like, I think Jacob Markstrom is the big wild card in all of this because yeah. Yeah. Holby's a free agent. Crawford's a free agent. Leonard, we think, is going to Vegas. Markstrom. Hodobin is a free agent because he's played so well in these playoffs. I, I like Markstrom a lot. I had him on my fantasy team this year, and he, <laughs> he basically saved the day for me. And, and I watched Vancouver a lot, and there were nights when that, that's an improving team, and they're going to be real fun to watch for a while. 
But there were nights where they were the second best team and still won because they got exceptional goaltending from Jacob Mark. So I like where he has come as an NHL goaltender, and he's just 30. And, and so, you know, would you go five years on, on Markstrom right now? Bite the bullet. He's a defined number one guy and then you know find ways of making economies elsewhere i think there's going to be a few teams if he gets to market 100 percent finding him he'll be the one guy there's a bidding war for that's my prediction i'm with you on that i think leonard's a slam dunk back in vegas matt murray scares me eric uh you know he's got a very compelling arm case that there's no way the penguins are gonna you know they, they if they can't trade him i'd see I, i'm serious about this I know he's an asset. I, I assume they're going to get a move before he ever goes to a scenario because he'll, he'll do okay in an ARP case, but he's not going to be worth that dollar. And you take a look at the last year and a half with him. Hasn't been pretty, you know, it's been a little bit sketchy in terms of the advanced analytics on Matt Murray. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And the other name that really intrigues me is Freddie Anderson. And there's a part of me that thinks that he's not available. You know, there's a lot of talk in, in the Toronto market about how Anderson has let the team down, how they need to move on from him, about how maybe Jack Campbell is the goaltender of the future. And then, of course, there's a relationship that Matt Murray had with Kyle Dubas that goes yes. back to their junior days. There, there's a part of me that thinks that if the Leafs were to move on Murray and, and then move on from Anderson, I don't think that's an upgrade. I think that's as much of a downgrade as possible. But I know what Calgary was in on Anderson when he got traded to Toronto originally and really liked him now you know you'd have to you know that it's a pricey ticket because it's five million he's a ufa in, in a single year you need to have some sort of commitment uh, beyond this year if you want to give up assets for him but I, again another guy that plays on my fantasy team that i watch a lot and and i don't know where this criticism of anderson comes from what i see with my eyes is a guy that that is phenomenally competitive you know is fighting for every last puck has had to play behind a, a very average to below average defense core for the entire time that he's been there. Never complain about it. I'll I'll take him any day. I'll take him any day. And if you're looking for somebody in Edmonton that could come in and and play well enough, long enough to, you know, get the Oilers to the next level, you know, he would be a guy that I would target. And again, you know, find ways of making economies somewhere else. Well, it's it's interesting because this year, uh, the Oilers, Miko Koskinen had a 917 save percentage. He had better numbers than Anderson, but if you talk to people around the NHL, the majority would say that Freddie Anderson's the better guardian. And uh, Leafs need a right shot D. A lot of people mention Adam Larson for Anderson. If Toronto gets in on another guy like Markstrom. Hey, you mentioned that uh, Jim Nill connection back to your days at University of Calgary. Uh, his last year at the UFC, the, uh, after the, I'm trying to think, did he play in 79-8? Did he come back to school that year? Because that was your Cal- Calgary won the Canada West. They knocked the Bears off, and then the Bears got a lucky invite uh, as a wild card to the national championship and ended up winning the third in a row with Claire Drake. And uh, I, was, you know where Jim was in 79-80? He was with he the, was the team. So yeah, the, Olympic team, the Olympic team was based here in, in, in Calgary, and he right. made that Olympic team, and he was living at uh, in a barracks on the Calgary Stampede grounds and barnstorming with uh, with Claire Drake's and uh, and uh, Lauren Davis's and, and Tom Watt's uh, Olympic team. I was on that. That, that was that was a sort of my big break in, in, in the newspaper industry because it got me to Lake Placid to cover the uh, the miracle on ice. Uh, you know, I was there covering the Canadian team, but of course you're in place for the you know one of these greatest hockey events of all time. I was 24 years old, and uh, it was uh, uh, it, it was a big break for me. But uh, but no, Jim Jim played on that uh, on, on that 79-80 uh, Canadian Olympic team. Glenn Anderson was on that team, and he sure. was 
you know, he was, uh, you know, I got a chance to watch him a lot that year, and uh, he was, I think, what, a fourth-round pick of the Oilers, and I, I knew he was going to be real good. And if you go back and look at voting for the Calder Trophy or, uh, in, in, uh, in Anderson's first year, you'll find one third-place vote, because in those days he used to vote one, two, three. And that third-place vote was me. I had to get 30 goals in 56 games, and I thought he deserved a mention as a, a Rookie of the Year candidate. And I think that, uh, I, I know I was the only person that voted for him, uh, but if you look back at uh, all the other people that got votes that year, you know, Glenn Anderson's in the Hall of Fame, and a whole bunch of those other guys aren't. So. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Eric, uh, the movie Miracle, there was sort of an impetus in the movie that Canada had built a, you know, oh, there are a bunch of hammerheads. Good. They had the exact same team as the U.S. The Americans had a bunch of Minnesota and Boston guys, yeah. and, t- and Team Canada was a bunch of U of T and University of Alberta guys sprinkled in with a couple Denver guys, Kenny Barry and Glenn Anderson, yeah. and uh, and Jimmy Nill. Like, they're, they're, and, and how did, but just in a, in a minute or less, if you can recall, how did Canada end up doing against the U.S. whenever they played them uh, going into that Olympics? Well, I, I covered seven of those games, and Canada won four, and, and the Americans won three. I was on that, the, the Canada won the three games here in um, in uh, uh, in Calgary, uh, they lost all three when they were on the Minnesota North Dakota tour, and uh, and and they beat them at the uh, the, uh, the pre-Olympic tournament in Lake Placid. So it, they they were real close games, really hard-fought games. Not at all what you think of as international hockey. They were you know again these, these guys competed really hard. So you know it wasn't elegant the way a lot of international hockey was in in, in those days. It was rough and mean, and uh, and uh, I think that the Canadian you know, that was one of the great regrets that they never got a chance to play the Americans at the Olympics because I think they felt that they could have beaten them. Eric, terrific stuff. Thanks for your time, okay? All right. My pleasure. You bet. That's Eric Duhatchik joining us right now out of Calgary, longtime uh, uh, NHL base writer. He is with The Athletic. You heard him 15 years as a guy involved in uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame as part of the selection committee and has written a multitude of books. We are in the final minute of the show right now. It's 154 in Edmonton. Uh, where are we going to go here? We need to get to this day in Oilers history, and it involves a guy who at one time centered Mark Messier and Glenn Anderson. He's no longer with us, but back at the 630 Chad Studios, uh, here is Brendan Escott. Yeah, 1955 today, former Oiler and the first Finnish-born NHLer, Matty Hagman, is born in Helsinki. He was with Edmonton for two seasons, from 1980 through 82. He scored 112 points in 147 games before returning to his hometown team in the SM Liga to finish his playing career. Yeah, Matty Hagman uh, passed away in 2016 in Finland. Uh, he would have been just uh, 61 years of age. He was a very uh, silky smooth uh, gifted puck distributor, and then Mark Messi eventually uh, replaced him as the second-line center, but not before Ken Lindsman came in, but Matty Hagman, uh, born on this date back in 1955. Tomorrow's show is in flex. Uh, we will tell you that uh, Mark Spector will join us for the Horses and Horse Race in Alberta. They present the 91st running of the Canadian Derby this Sunday, September 27th at Century Mile. Fan access is limited, but you can watch and wager online at hbibet.com. That is tomorrow show and I'm working on a couple other guests as we speak. Game two tonight of the Stanley Cup final goes at 6 p.m. at 4.30. Uh, reminder, the NHL awards will take place and uh, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, Grant Pierre all presenting at the NHL awards. So obviously, uh, it'll be done as they do it. Uh, 
Uh, it's great to see my American friend is listening to the show. Congratulations. You beat the Americans four times out of seven in exhibition. Up next, the global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, followed by the 6.30 chat afternoons with Jayla Nye. Game two tonight, Stanley Cup final puck drop, 6.30 chat at 6 p.m. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.